When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is a crowd podcast. George Groves, you may have heard of him. He might come in wearing a belt. And who's an arsehole then? Who's you have to... <laughs> oh, he's thinking... <laughs> Punching a half a cow, hanging off a hook. I can't remember where I parked my car. Nigel Ben tells you you're working with him. This could go on for five hours. Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Good morning, Deck. <laughs> Tech, Tech, you've got some tan on you, mate. I was going to say, you're looking tanned. I mean, with my usual complexion, it is quite startling for people when they see me <laughs> and not back you know, back from holiday, not sort of lobster red. I was in uh, Crete in Greece, which mm. is amazing. And I'll tell you what, it's the place to go for a really nice tan, Deck. You really? get a really nice tan. Yeah, I wouldn't have you down as a tanner. No. And my wife, my better half, is half Iranian. So she's got a head start Good on me. Tanner. And then but by default... The kids are quarter Iranian, but they don't look it. You know, they look like me <laughs> in terms of the skin, but they've come back with lovely little, like, factor 50, four or five times a day, but still got little brown arms and legs. So they've left me out in the cold. Even even my dog's looking at me going, you pasty, <laughs> and he's brindle. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm the odd ball now in this family. But other than that, the holiday was amazing, Dave. And you're back now. The point of a holiday is, in it, to refresh recharge, reset, get back into business. You feel like you're ready to go again. I'm ready. I'm ready. I mean, Christ- I f- it's nearly Christmas, isn't it? Now? Yeah. Once you get back from your summer holiday, it's basically Christmas. So now, with two kids, you're on a, a run-in now. Big you're, running. You're showing your age, Dick. You know, um, time is relative. but uh, Busy time for boxing as well. Busy time for boxing. Um, talking to people who might be in a hurry, might not mm. get a lot of leisure time, is chat this week, Dick, of um, Joshua fighting Fury at the end of the year which I didn't see coming from anywhere, to be honest, but that's just because I'm not paying attention, I suppose. <laughs> You're too busy in Crete. Yeah. Yeah, I think... How, how do you see this playing? Like, it do, might... You know, believe it or not, it might just happen because it looked like a play from everyone's side. We've obviously been speaking about this fight for so long and it hasn't happened. Now, at the point where people want to see it the least, no disrespect to them, but it's not the massive clamour that we had at one point. It's like, oh, Fury and Joshua might fight. Oh, that'd be that'd be good. 
it might just happen. I'm here in early December, 3rd of December, in fact, in Cardiff with the roof on. It's not out of the question. Have you reserved your rooms yet? The problem with Cardiff is there's not that many rooms, so you've got to go and get your room now. <laughs> I remember when he boxed Takam and Pulev, to be fair, both in Cardiff. Same night. Same night. <laughs> Them two didn't have to it's share a hotel room, start, did they? It was like a war zone when you leave it because the stadium is in the centre. Like It's not out in an industrial park or anything. You're there in the heart of it. There were people in trees. There were people lying <laughs> on the floor. The taxi queue, no word of a lie, kilometre long and probably 15 people wide. If you wanted to get to Newport Zone, you're waiting for about three days. Luckily, I've got family there, so I'm fine. So I'm always all for it, Cardiff. But uh, I, I wouldn't say go and book your hotel rooms now, but do not rule it out. I thought it was going to be one of them that just fizzles out, a bit of chat, Fury will end up fighting Manuel Charles or something like that, but it might just happen. Someone has thrown it out there, and it's like a bluffing game. I'm not saying this is how me and Degel end up fighting <laughs> after 11 and 12 bouts, but it's like, well, I'm not backing down. I don't know why exactly, but... I'm more interested. I'll be more interested in this fight happening now than I would if you know if they they were both champions somehow or another, and then it was this big unification. I know everyone's obsessed with you know one person owning all the belts, and I think we will get to that stage sooner or later, Dick. But um, I like I like this. I like how Fury's decided he's retired, even though I don't think he ever really believed it. But now he's a bit on the back foot. You know, he's calling out Derek Chazor and he's calling out, is it Manuel Char, as yep. he called out this week? So he, he's itching for a fight. Don't know what mindset he's got on at the moment. But he thinks, I'll throw, maybe he's thinking, I'll throw something to Joshua. Uh, he'll turn that down and then makes me feel good. And Joshua's going, well, my options are pretty limited right now. Someone's going to offer me a world title fight next. That's a gift. <laughs> he's like, I'll have that. Makes a lot of sense for him, doesn't it? Yeah. We're told that it's 60-40 split, which is pretty generous for Joshua. He's off the back of, what, two defeats? Three out of four, his last five have been defeats. He's still Anthony Joshua, but I thought Fury would demand 80 or 90% and obviously just price Joshua out. But 60-40 seems very fair. He's the WBC champion. And then the rematch will be 50-50. So it seems like the nuts and bolts of it are done. I'm not sure about TV and all that stuff where it usually falls down, but it's not dead yet. And I thought it would be. And it makes a lot of sense for both of them. Mm. And that, in the end, might be might be the, the clincher. Who do, you, who do you think wins? Everyone said that it's, it's Fury, it's got to be Fury. Even people who you, were sort of diehard Joshua fans were then saying, you know, they bit the bullet and said Fury. But I think Joshua made a lot of improvements with the new trainer, uh, Garcia. And, mm. um, you know, he wasn't enough to beat Pete Usyk. But, you know, if he carries on making them improvements, then it's a totally different fight against Fury, who's obviously... Different stature. I'm not sure, Dave. I'm not sure. I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to throw my hat in the ring yet. Yeah, we've got, such, a lot of time. You know, wanna, yeah. got some twists and turns. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because Joshua, there was talk that he'd need to have a break, and then Eddie said he'd be boxing four times next year against lesser opponents, and then he might be ending up ending the year fighting Fury. Who knows? Winning, and then he is the man again. Dick, forget about who wins. Does it actually happen? Yes, December the third. Book your hotel. <laughs> 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 and book your train. If we book a bunch of hotels, yeah. we might have a little markup at the end. <laughs> yeah. might, might... We could do a club visit. Right, let's do this week's guest. Who is it again? This week we have someone who's making tremendous waves in the boxing world at this moment. He is a good friend of mine, former strength conditioning coach to myself and now a strength conditioning coach for a wide array of very talented fighters. He might have commuted in right now from the Isle of Wight where he's at training camp with Tony Sims and some of the fighters are up there but of course that's Connor Ben's training camp where he's preparing for his fight with Chris Eubank Jr. It is none other than 
Dan Lawrence. Dan or Daniel? Another funny story about Dan <laughs> is that um, he's got multiple names. Like, I knew him as Dan McDermott for a long time, and then he changed it to Dan Lawrence. So, like, I don't know, reinvented himself at some point. Dan Lawrence. Well, we should Dan, get him. Dan, let's, get, let's get him in. <laughs> Dan, whoever you are, Dan, just come in, Dan. It's a fitness episode, and we're here with, with the pleasure of Dan Lawrence. S&C coach, he's the head performance at Matram in terms of strength and conditioning, not ticket sales yet, Dan, but, but you're working on that empire, aren't yeah. you? I know it, yeah. you're going to get there. Thanks for coming in, Dan. Great to see you. How you been? I've been well, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. I thought you were from Swindon or you had some connection to Swindon. Is that, have I just imagined that? I can say hand on heart. That's a shame. I've never been to Swindon. <laughs> Yeah. Dan, straight off this podcast, we're taking you swimming. Yeah, right, let's do it. You don't know what you're missing out on. <laughs> have you been to the gym today? I haven't. Um, I ran this morning. I ran Richmond Park, not the whole of Richmond Park, but some of Richmond Park this morning. Me and Dan used to run the Petersham Hill, or Nightingale Lane. So this we started that, and it was conditioning for um, my first fight with Cole Froch. I mean, I'd done it. I'd been doing it before then, but this is when I sort of brought Dan in. I needed a bit more help. So Dan was part of the, not just doing strength with me, he was doing strength and conditioning. So I'd meet up with Dan nearly every day then, wouldn't it? You know, we'd be in the gym usually during the day. We'd split the sessions. We'd do upper body. No, we didn't. We did full body twice a week. And then the conditioning, I wouldn't let him have free reign. And I could tell, you know, it was uncomfortable for me running up that hill, but it was also really uncomfortable for Dan because I just sort of <laughs> said to him, mate, can you just time me and scream encouragement at me? And I just want to get to the top, yeah? And he's like, yeah, yeah like easy money. <laughs> and then I'd show up, I'd show up the following week and he'd go, all right, Julia. And then um, he'd be getting kettlebells out of the car and dumbbells. I said, Dan, no, mate, put them back in the car. I just want to run to the top and back down, yeah? And I've got, I got to beat last week's score. Please put them dumbbells away. I think we did it once. I did it out of politeness, show no weakness. And then, and then yeah, I folded and said, Dan, no more, mate. So um, me and Dan first met. We was uh, Dan was working out of um, a gym in, in Twickenham, and I was going there. And I take full claim for Dan just in general. Mm. You know, general, general's impact on boxing. Forged uh, in Swindon. Yeah. Turned up in Twickenham. I'd worked with amateur fighters, a lot of Repton boys and GB boys, but... George was my break and he jokingly said that tongue in cheek but he did pave the way for where I'm at now for mm. sure you know and I hold much admiration for him and thank him for that you know he gave me my break at a time that maybe I did not deserve it and in elite sport we talk about the aggregation of marginal gains chasing the mm. one percenters but in boxing in 2013 there was more than one percenters they were 10 12 15 percenters that we could really see some big wins on a lot of it was around recovery optimization so we'd have a look at you know what George was doing at that time anyway uh, from a heart rate data point of view his existing training loads also the things that have got him to become mandatory challenger for the world title you know I'm not going to come in like a bull in a china shop and say we've got to do all of this and rip up the script it's listening to your athlete identify what works and then maybe see where there's some small wins and we can just build those wins and stack those wins over time so we don't go in with 20 things to do we might say right George maybe we can focus on one or two things and that might have just been strength and conditioning at that point um, and following a structured program but for me Declan big wins come from recovery optimization especially in boxing I'd say boxing being a sometimes stuck in the dark ages, you know, lots of old mindsets. Have you faced a lot of resistance, would you say, from boxing coaches, even fighters along the way now? How do you approach that? 
there's definitely been pushback over the years. There's been a huge transition over the past 18 to 24 months, especially with the power and growth of social media where people put stuff on there. You see the likes of AJ, Canelo, and all of these huge names showcasing some of the work that they do. So then that trickles down to the younger fighters thinking, maybe I'm leaving something on the table if I'm not finding a strength and conditioning coach to improve these athletic qualities. You mentioned Joshua there. People, I feel like the general public sometimes watch boxing and you might look at Joshua, for instance, who looks like he's carved out of... But then you also look at Tyson Fury, who ain't carved out of anything. And like Tony Bellew, I remember, he used to say, you know, if bodies won fights, then he'd be Peter Buckley. You know, and even at light heavy, when he had no no fat on him, mm. he didn't have a six-pack. How is that? Why is that? Why do we get someone like Fury so fit for purpose and the best heavyweight in the world, and then but he doesn't look like it? Why is that? Look, mass times acceleration equals force, right? Yeah. But in the same breath, you know, if... Andy Ruiz didn't get him out of there in the, what was it, seventh round or something in New York, then there's a cost to that from an energy system point of view as it goes to a 12-round fight. Obviously, you're carrying more mass. Tyson Fury, for me, is just a complete outlier. He's a freak. He's one of a kind. Um, and yes, he you know he does carry excess fat around the abdominal region, but... You know, look everywhere else. He's leaned through his legs. He's leaned through his shoulders. You know, it's just carrying a little bit there. So I don't think you can specifically say just because someone aesthetically looks great, they're going to be a great boxer. But the chances are that generally speaking, if you reduce body fat, you make weight in the right way, you have some lean tissue, you're going to be a better athlete. Boxing is 70, 80% anaerobic. So it's, it's very high. It's intermittent, repeated high intensity bouts of exercise. So if you look at a heart rate monitor, it's red zone domination. It's above sort of 85, 90% of max heart rate, the majority of it. But that doesn't mean you just train that. You've got to have an engine first and foremost. You've got to analogy for you. So size of the car's engine. You've got to have a big engine, but then you've got to be able to go through the gears. And, you know, that's the trade-off. So no one energy system works independently from what, from another. You have to, and this is the beauty of boxing and why we love it so much. In a 36-minute fight, 48 minutes of being switched on with minutes in between for 12 rounds, You've got to be utilising all of the different energy systems. It's hard, Dan, isn't it? Like, what's the best replication for training for this? Because I know that sparring is the closest thing you can get to an actual fight, and then sometimes pad work is the closest thing you can get to sparring, but it doesn't matter if you can deadlift 400 kilo. If you can't punch any harder, it's redundant. If you want to get better at the sport, do the sport. But then you can look at, okay, boxing's three minutes, it's 12 rounds, it's 36 minutes in total. Does that therefore mean we get a load of weights and we try and replicate a three-minute circuit? In my opinion, no, that is not the best way to drive that adaptation. We've got to look at, okay, maybe out of camp, you're saying about coming back in camp a little bit heavy. We've got to build the aerobic base, lower intensity work, cardiac output method. So to give the listeners some context, 45 minutes, heart rate between 120 and 155 BPM. If you're overweight coming back into camp, that might be done on a bike because you don't want to repeatedly hit the con- concrete when you're carrying too much weight. Because what we'll also say is, yes, boxers are elite level athletes. For me, there's no bigger and better athletes out there. It's uh, a single individual sport. You haven't got 10 other teammates backing you up for a bad day at the office. You're on your ass. But they're not the best runners. <laughs> you know, They're not technically, biomechanically the best runners. So if you are overweight and you're hitting the concrete for 10, 12, 15 miles three times a week, then likely you, you're going to injure yourself over time and you're going to you know wear yourself out. So yeah, going back to that is improve the size of the engine and then start working through the gears with more specific work like what we call high-intensity interval training, sprint interval training. I think there's, um, yeah, if you want to get better at the sport, do the sport, but there's also other more specific things you can do to drive the physiological demands of the sport. 
First of all, it's like, as a fighter personally, you don't want to get pigeonholed really, and you want to be a complete fighter. They don't exist, but you want to be as a complete fighter as you can possibly be. And then depending on the boxing coaches you're working with at the time, and maybe even the fighters that you're in a stable with or you're bouncing off, if different influences will will play their part, I think your genetic makeup, like who you are and how you trained at a young age will literally always come out. You know, by the time you turn professional, if you've been boxing, I was an amateur for 10 years. Before then, I was a kickboxer. So I'm very calf dominant, like huge calves bouncing up and down. The amateurs, as I say, we'd still be doing the heel runs. You'd be, you know, it, at the time amateur boxing was point scoring. So it was in and out, like Amir Khan style fighting. So we'd do um, lots of drills where we'd be up on our toes, bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. Um, but I always wanted to land a big right hand. It was very aggressive, but I used to get caught with a lot of shots on the way in turn professional and you can't give any shots away i'm working under adam booth alongside david hay who's a one-punch knockout artist and you know all of a sudden people are now buying into me and saying well you, know, you can whack a bit you know you can punch hard right hand was good left hook need a lot of developing moving away from adam i was with the next coach paddy and i remember saying to paddy like i want to punch in bunches you know what i mean i want to be able to sit in the pocket and let the shots go i wanted to be able to you know not just rely on just sharp shooting and we had great success and i felt like i improved a lot as a fighter on the paddy like people say that you know i had after the first fight i had a dip with him and in the end i kind of did but we um the fight that i had with badu jack dam's dam's still part of the team dam we went out to big bear we was i think i peaked the week that we flew to big bear they delayed the fight the day we flew for for a month to put it on the floyd mayweather undercar we extended our trip a big bear which is 10,000 feet above you know sea level so you're sleeping out it's really hard to recover uh, the sessions are really taxing you don't feel good about yourself because the runs that you were doing in this amount of time you're getting nowhere near that once you're out there because it's harder and then I think I kind of overtrained. it was the first time where I think I realized that there's an optimal weight for fires Tell us about Big Bear because I remember interview I did that covered that fight and I remember interviewing you probably a week before and it sounded like you were going out of your mind. And for those who don't know, tell us, first of all, Big Bear up in the mountains, what, about an hour away from Vegas up the hill? No, no it's a bit more. It's about four hours from Vegas. It? It's California. I drove there before. Four hours. I wouldn't want to sit in a car with you, mate. Yeah, oh, Jesus. What was you driving? <laughs> One of them Teslas, is it? They, um, no, you're closer to LA. So it's up it's up the hill, Big Bear. It's, um, Abel Sanchez is the, is the boss up there, and he yep. made famous or very much famous for his work with Gennady Golovkin. Mm -hmm. There were some good fighters up there at the time. I can't remember who else was out there. But uh, Joel Diaz. Gassiev, Murat Gassiev, yeah. yeah. Gassiev was up there. Prince Charles Martin. Prince Charles Martin, yeah, who told me his elaborate plan of winning a world title and then fighting Anthony Joshua. And at the time, I was like, mate, you ain't got a chance. Mate, he was boxing a pair of Knight Cortez, right? He couldn't move his feet. He had two left feet. His S&C coach came up to me as well. He goes, see my man over there? Sound exactly like that. Um, he's, he's <laughs> was he from Belfast? He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna be a world champion and we just looked at each other like yeah all right mate anyway and, lo and, and behold lo and behold by default i think yeah. the guy did his acl in the well, third round as well no, he didn't i guess he didn't give you the caveats but what he said became true mm. he did become world champion in boxing shit. that's what, yeah. what we took from this conversation yeah all right dan we'll have a quick break there i'll be back in a minute It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Should we talk about Connor Ben? He shares a lot online, and then the, I saw a picture the other day of his sort of his body transformation. You know, from literally turning pro. Well, I know he turned pro quite young to where he's at now, and now he's on the cusp of you know the elite level in his division. I know you've done an awful lot of work with him, Dan. What do you look for in a fighter that makes you think, yeah, I can train with you, I can vibe with you, or now nah, this is going to be a nightmare? Two words: be teachable. And Conor Ben is teachable. He's a sponge. He's a student of the game. He wants to absorb information from anyone who's around him. And he's yeah, a lovely young man, to be brutally honest, irrespective of what people might see on social media, looking quite flash. He's, he's a great guy and he's a student of the game. So I started working with Conor. He got put down twice by Cedric Paynow at uh, York Hall, which I'm sure people remember. Arguably, you know, that could have gone either way, that fight. He got the verdict. Uh, and I that was in December, middle of December, prior to Christmas. I knew I'd accepted the match and roll to kick things off in the new year in January. And uh, I thought, let me go and see what... I think a couple of the lads were on the car. Let me see what we're working with. And to be honest, it was the best thing that could have happened because he was then really receptive to change. He knew he you know, couldn't do things the way he was doing. He was literally having curries after the weigh-in and things like that prior to fighting. You know, It was like making weight was the win. It's like, no... Winning is winning, you know, get your arm raised in the ring and then you can go and enjoy your curry and whatever else. Each camp we, we say, and we actually have this kind of open conversation to say, we're just building on the last camp. We're stacking wins every single time. And he's just, as I say, such a student and such a pleasure to work with that uh, he's not leaving anything on the table, you know. And who's an arsehole then? Who do you have to... <laughs> oh, what are you thinking? No, I'm joking, don't tell us. Uh, you know that you could see names going through and he's like, can I say this, can I say this? Yeah. Yeah. You know that he's got them flashing in there. Honestly, already. and I will be honest, like, they're all great lads and I think it comes from the leader, oh, which is Tony. Oh, I thought you were going to say you then. Splinter on, my, <laughs> splinter on my backside, sitting on the fence. But uh, no, look, Tony created... It's like a no dickheads mentality. I don't know if you read the book Legacy by James Kerr about the New Zealand All Blacks. It's like, if you don't abide by these rules and standards, get the hell out of the gym. Where does George land on the arsehole-ometer? <laughs> nah, George, I, 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 I'm not even going to say it. The, the podcast. He's, he's a great, no, great guy. What about the boxing coach? Are they got to be teachable? To a degree, but you've got to know your hierarchy and they are the head boxing coach. You know, I answer to them, so to speak. Yes, it's collaborative, but um, myself and Tony have, have an incredible relationship. You know, he really buys into everything that I bring to the table and he just leads me to it pretty much. But there's collaboration as well from a volume load management point of view. And also what I will say, and it's probably one of my strengths, if I feel something's not right or an athlete hasn't recovered optimally and then they've got, let's say, a tough 12-round spar or they've got steps in the morning, which we know is very taxing, I'll voice that to Tony I'll have an awkward conversation for the greater good of the athlete and together we'll reach the specific outcome because it has to be an athlete centred model you mentioned steps there they the steps in Lee Leon C yeah the, those we've seen, if anyone hasn't seen them go and look at some Instagram they're all posting on them steps but steps seems like quite an old school method mm. and you know chasing chickens <laughs> stuff like that are you 
doing that sort of stuff still. Is there a, a value in going to an abattoir and punching a half a cow hanging off a hook? No. Uh, something John oh, Ryder says yeah, is <laughs> old school values, modern methods. Ooh. It's like your values put it on to a be old school. Yeah, we have. We actually have put that on a t-shirt. Shout out to athletes only over there in Scotland <laughs> who put that on a t-shirt for us. <laughs> yes. We'll get you one. So yeah, old school values, uh, modern methods. Like you've got to merge the two. It's got to be a, a merging of taking those values, taking all of that, you know, spit and sawdust. Like that's what, it's boxing. You're punching each other in the face, you know. But in the same breath, we can drive that with some actual studies and science and research together. That's the way to uh, to get get a winning formula. We've had the tyres yeah. out, haven't we? The tractor yeah. tyres, Dan, with the sledgehammer and it a few depends. other bits and pieces. I suppose it's just your application. Exactly. Yeah, it, like yeah? volume load management, work to rest ratios. It fundamentally goes back to what is the goal? What about skipping? Because skipping seems to always be a sort of boat. It's very old school and it's just like, well, boxers skip, so just do some skipping. Where do you... Where do you... I, look, I like skipping. I think, again, if I look at the breakdown of what is going on with skipping, we're looking at the, the muscular tendon unit of the ankle. We're looking at ground contact times. Well, now let's paint the picture of George stepping back out of range and coming back in with a counter right hand. What goes on on the floor there? Well, we look at the ankle complex. That's a quick ground contact time to then transfer energy the way it came. Skipping is what we call an extensive plyometric, repeated boom, 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 boom. And you want to be stiff on, on contact because if you bleed energy and you don't have sufficient stiffness on contact, that can be the difference between you landing a shot with a counter and not. That could be the Billy Joe Lemieux of when he went like that and he just he was long gone type thing. So I like skipping. Look, from a warm-up, yeah, get blood circulating around the body. I think from a psychological point of view, George probably tell you better on this is he's in the gym he's looking at the other fighters he's mentally preparing for what's about to occur um, but again from an snc point of view we're getting those repeated ground contacts that are going to make him a little bit more springy a little bit more reactive and a little bit more robust through the ankle complex you're talking about like optimization and you want to be especially with a strength session you want to be hitting the top end of your numbers and stuff like that is there any moments where someone's turned up you try to do the session it's like it's not happening today go home something we say in strength conditions don't be married to your program especially in combat sports there's lots of stresses that are out there. We can talk about training stress, social media stress, media obligations, having a row with their missus, whatever it may be, it goes into the same bucket. Anything can throw you off, Dan, can't it? You know, like no. anything, you've got this sparring session coming up, anything can throw you off, even just a slow start, you haven't warmed up properly. You might be, if you want to be that person who's going to look, look to blame, Dan might be the perfect poke to blame. It's like, look, <laughs> You trained me too hard yesterday and I was 10% down on my vertical jump before I started. <laughs> and uh, you're throwing poor Dan under the bus. You no, know? Did you get much of that? No. 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 Like we, you know, we're very collaborative and yes, to the external public, they'll be like, nothing will phase me. I'm fine. I'm fine all the time. But that's not what a team does. A team has to peel the onion back further and say, no, are you fine? because I need to know this information, because what you say to me now will factor into what we do. You've got to learn your fighters, but also you've got to learn how fighters in general are operating. Exactly, yeah, and that takes time for sure. It's understanding the environment, having that open line of communication, and actually uh, another one would be Josh Taylor with Ben Davison. Ben was brilliant, you know, for that Ramirez fight over in Vegas when he became undisputed champion of the world. Um, let's say he had 12 rounds sparring programmed and Josh won't mind me saying this his sleep is a real issue for him sometimes and sleep's our biggest recovery tool that costs absolutely nothing well if this is a type A male who's like foot on the gas all the time which he is and he's a big thinker well that's going to be an issue because over time that's going to mean he's going to burn out it's a fact like there's no way <laughs> you can't sugarcoat that so I then say, okay, Ben, look, just let you know, and I've got all of his data, look, he's had, you know, four hours sleep last night, and you've got 12 rounds sparring scheduled. 
I think it would be a time to, you know, if, like you say, if the first few rounds aren't going to plan, it might, we might pull that on six rounds and he'd take that that information on board. But for me, that's what a team does. It's an athlete-centered model and you've got collaboration and communication between each other piece. If we go a step deeper and we look at the autonomic nervous system, you've got two branches to that. You've got parasympathetic and sympathetic, right? Sympathetic is fight or flight. Go, go, go. You know, before a fight in the changing room, you want to be there. But then... As soon as you've done that fight or as soon as you've done that tough training session, recovery has to be the number one driver. So then you want to ch- make that shift into a parasympathetic state, rest or digest. And that's where breathing drills might come in. That's where sleep comes in. And that's where you want the brain to go away from that boom, 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 million miles an hour to start bringing things back down. You know, And it's choosing when to flick the switch. In a pre-fight changing room, I'm even looking at the playlist. We get myself and the fighter will put a playlist together and we'll look at the BPM and the music. You know, we don't want to be, as soon as you walk in the changing room, let's say it's a 10.30 ring walk or first bell and then we might get in there at 7 p.m. If we get in there at 7 p.m., someone puts some trance on, bloody hell, you've got to keep that fighter up for a long while and then you take your ergogenic aids too early, your caffeine and all of that, well, then you've got an issue. So we might start with some lower stuff, some slow stuff. We might even start with no music and everyone just talk. But then, you know, when maybe 9 p.m. hits, they're getting uh, gloved up or they're doing their... Actually, what we do is where they do their warm-up with me, that's when we flip it. I'm like, right, change the music now. Then we start really livening them up and then we'll do our first caffeine shot, let's say... 45 minutes before first bell then they'll have the other one 15 minutes before first bell so there is an art to that in terms of how to shut off outside of the fight um at the end of the session we do some breathing drills we'll elevate the feet we'll lay down we'll do some basic belly breathing with some of them it might not work with others I, I appreciate that um and that will just start shifting that that state um and then even just educating them like in the car on the way home after the gym when they're, they're going and, and you know some recovery is the main focus with sleep don't go in the car and start playing some fucking techno or hardcore house because that defeats the object. You know, play some mellow, mellow magic or whatever it is, and, uh, and mellow then go magic, to bed. Mellow magic, dance, let it slip, mellow magic. All of these factors that Dan's talking about, were you aware of that? Yeah, I was. Earlier on in my career, I wouldn't have a lot of caffeine throughout camp, so I'd have a double espresso in the changing room, hour and a half, I'd say, before first bell. That that felt like the the optimal time for me, and it would last me through the fight. And the music stuff, were you yeah, aware? Yeah, I mean, so I'm just, I'm one of them ultra alpha males that we were talking about earlier. Like my music went on, I didn't give a fuck if anyone liked it or not. Yeah. And it was usually similar to the, the playlist that was on in the gym anyway. So you're straight away, you're back in that environment of being in the gym that you've drilled all the things that you've worked for for this fight. And there's a couple of tracks on there that were a bit more punchy than others. And, um, like so did, pun intended. It went over me own both, head. We both got it. He it, didn't went, get it. it went over me own head. Are there any music that you um, you wouldn't have? The reason I asked that, and I remember this vividly, is after the second Frotch fight. Yeah. So after the Wembley fight, and you put and that Kasabian song came on, you had fucking turn that off. Yeah. Because that was your ring walk for the second fight. Yeah. That you'd yeah, lost. Yeah, that, that, yeah. There's the anchor right there. Yeah, there's the anchor. Yeah, Got to yeah, get rid of that tune. Through poor Kasabian well. under the bus. Yeah, I'm back. See, I'm in a better place now, Deck. But these negative anchors, are they all fit with all your boxers, they've all got them and you've got you to be aware, aware of them. aware of them, yeah, you have to. Um, it's interesting because <laughs> George actually, with Connor, there was one time um, we were in a change room at the O2 and I can't recall which fight it was before, but Connor was in a great place. But Connor can be very much influenced by what people say at any moment. And George came in and it was a proud moment for me. I had my past and present and George was like, yeah, so like, you know, how, how do you make the weight? And yeah, I, I do this. And he, and then George was like, oh, oh, you don't want to do it like that or something. And Connor's just looked at me 
And anyway, he's George left. Connor's gone straight up to me, and he's gone, Dan. Like, what? What have I just done this? Ro-? I said, No, that's the way George did it. George was an outlier. George did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was. I thought that was quite funny. That must be hard with Connor because we, I always think when I see it, and you put the transformations up, and you see it, it's unbelievable. He's like a kid, and now he's obviously this fully fledged welterweight. It must be. It must be pr- proud to see that. But what I'm interested in is where did your wins come from? Because it mm. can't just be what happens in the ring. It can't just be your success can't be whether they win or lose. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard because unfortunately that's the nature of sport that you get judged on wins or losses. You could have the best training camp. You could literally be improving all of the metrics and key performance indicators that you look at. You could have managed every situation right. You could have communicated everything right. And my whole motto is going above and beyond for my fighters. And then they might lose, you know, but that's the nature of the sport that we love. So, um, but then you have to live by that as well. And then others, because again, going back to the point earlier of people, I think we were saying about body composition of Andy Ruiz, Tyson Fury, and then AJ, is that people just look at the surface level. They don't understand what goes on underneath. And why should they understand what goes on underneath? They don't know the inner workings of a training camp, do they? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard one. For me, the biggest thing is changing the fighter's life from a financial level. I must admit, like, that's what it is. And that's what makes me proud is that you've played a role, big or small. That's, uh, I suppose, for others to to decide that you've changed their life, you know, from a financial level and and, and what they're available, what what they can do moving forward for them and their family. Look, I enjoy the ring walks. I think that's a nice nice point because all the hard work has been done. It's quite a proud moment. But also just the fighter being, you know, after the fight as well, saying thank you for the work you've done. How do you decide whether to work with a fighter or not yeah great great question and honestly I, I do get approached by a lot of fighters now and i have to turn them down i do don't you? really want any more fighters on my books unless it's a huge outlier and it's you know like josh Taylor. yeah is yeah. that literally exactly that exactly like yeah. that i again look at human first they've got to be teachable they've got to be coachable they've got to be a good guy but yeah i'm not craving like loads of fighters I, i've been in this game quite a long time now there's a lot of People see the great stuff that you know they're coming out with fighters on fight night and, and all of that, and the fight is improving, which is great. And you know I'm very proud of it, but um, there's also a cost implication to it as well. You know you've got to be all in. Your boxers are in and out of camps all the time. What are they doing when they're not when they haven't got a date? That's probably the biggest art of like keeping them on track to a degree because it's a brutal sport, and you, everyone in this room knows the inner workings of it. It's like even if you win obviously if you lose you're struggling to get a fight but even if you win you're still struggling to get a fight like John Ryder is the name of the tip of my tongue it's just like all good intentions you build momentum and then boom you just like you don't get a fight for ages and he doesn't have loads of sponsors there's not much money coming in and until you get that fight it, it's really hard to stay on track but you know he John Ryder is the model pro. He really does. He's in with me. I try and jazz things up as much as possible with the training. But he'll then change. He won't do the Wednesday, Saturday. He'll just do the Saturday session. I see the lads at BXR in Marlebone. And there's a rationale behind that as well because it's a change of environment for them. As you well know, like spit and sawdust, boxing gym, if you're in there six, seven days a week, double sessions, God, it becomes mundane and monotonous. And so I change the environment. It's, yeah, it's a cool environment up there. It's in Marlebone and um, we get the work in to, uh, to jazz it up. So for John now, at the moment, he doesn't have a fight date. There's been talk of a Billy Joe fight. I might even train with him on a Saturday because he likes that, because it's something different. It's like you're not just fully on the plan. Last time me and Dan went to do a little session together, I'm, I'm literally driving past his house and he calls me. He says, I can't remember where I parked my car. All right. Because I'm sure I parked outside my house, like most people do, 
Turns out he found it. You found it. Tell us the story, Dan. You found it around the corner with the driver's door open, wasn't it? Yeah. So basically, my car got stolen. So uh, <laughs> it, like me and George had planned this meetup for oh so long. Like we're both incredibly busy. Finally, like managed to lock it in. He went out of his way to come to my gym. I'd lined it up with the owners of the gym and said, "There's this guy who used to do a bit of boxing, George Groves. You may have heard of him. He might come in wearing a belt." But um, <laughs> but no, they were like very yeah, all lined up. Walked out my flat to where I thought I parked my car, no, where I, my car was. And I had George on the phone because he said, oh, I'm here a little bit early, you know, where are you at and how long are you going to be? And I was like, man, I don't know where I'm losing the plot here, but my car's not where I thought it was. Anyway, I did a 180, police car pulls up outside my flat and I was like, right, George, I, I think my car's been stolen. And uh, lo and behold, the police officer was a guy who used to be at that gym that we we met at. It was just surreal. It was like you couldn't write. And he was like, Dan, do you own this car? I said, yeah, I do. Oh, we've just found it like five minutes around the corner. I think they've stolen it. They've left it there to see if anyone's going to pick it up. And yeah, it, it was left on, it was, it was a nice car, you know, and um, it was on this like <laughs> pokey estate. And they were like, the car's not, not that car's not normally on this type of estate and someone flagged it which was nice so yeah the car was there and oh bloody nightmare with Range Rover the next two months anyway they gave me a couple of cars and they broke down but anyway we're back we're back in the game we still haven't had that session okay George you phoned Dan and you said can you come and do my new podcast yeah Dan what if you'd answered and George had said I'm coming back let's role play this deck mm. the phones rang Dan Jake Paul I'm now in this YouTube world of podcasting and stuff he wants to fight I've only got 10 weeks. I'm fucking way out of shape, mate. What do you recommend? What shall I do? Shall I, first of all, shall I go with it? And will you help me? I like the way you jazzed that up. You yeah. really did put some flavour on that. I like it because I'm a winner and you will beat Jake Paul, irrespective of whatever shape you say you're in now. So what do we, what do we go into? How, what should we con- what, concentrate weeks? on? What's it looking like? Is it, is it like Rocky? Is it like Balboa <laughs> 6? When he goes, your legs are gone, <laughs> your hands are broke, you've got arthritis <laughs> in your hips. I still think George is, uh, I think he's doing himself a disservice. I still think he's got some some miles in the tank for a Jake Paul fight, no other fight. And yeah, we'd structure things accordingly. So I think the first four weeks, if you don't mind me saying, would be fat camp. And uh, we get a bit of tin off and then, uh, you know, we work with focus on the other qualities from there on in. So fat camp for George, what would that actually include? <laughs> would he be running? George is actually a really good runner. Mm. He's yeah, he's a really competent runner. So I think look, they probably would for George. Again, look, got to look as a, everyone specifically. And um, that was a general comment I said earlier that yeah, there probably would be some running. Would there be running four times a week at eight miles or eight k even a time? No, absolutely not. Too much stress on the joints. So we can say, how do we get and drive that adaptation without the negative impact of? Well, impacts, I suppose. Um, so no, he, we'd probably do a lot more bike work and off-feet work and getting punching. And the main manipulation would be around nutritional strategy as well. But it doesn't mean we're just going to follow a crash diet. It means, again, fuel for the work required. Dr. James Morton of uh, Liverpool John Moores University, great research paper, is um, on the hard days, we fuel him. And on the low days, we'll underfuel him to, to help him make weight. We hear the term muscle memory a lot. Would it apply to George, do you think? Would there be a case where he's just like... I know there would be because we actually did a little stint where we were training together at Rocker and Chiswick. Oh, George was shifting some tin. So, yeah, he'd see some some changes pretty, pretty quickly, yeah. And punching hard, you said to punch hard, you got to punch hard. Yeah. First of all, how did you learn to punch hard? You have to drill it like over and over again. David Hay said to me, perfect practice makes perfect, not practice makes perfect. So if you're going to do it, do it properly and do it, you know, whether you buy into the 10,000 rule or whatnot, it's supplementing it with strength work you know, or 
something along those lines. Could you get someone to punch harder in a training camp, i.e. they come with you at the start of the camp and they come out the back end of it for their fight and they're a bigger puncher than they were at the start of it? I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't wholeheartedly believe that that can be improved, yeah. Mm. So um, without doubt, I think George mentioned it there. It's like, okay, if you want to punch hard, punch hard. But also the S&C certainly plays a role and merging the two together, that's how you'll punch harder. Are we going to get someone who's pillow-fisted punch like Gennady Golovkin? Absolutely not. But can you see improvements without doubt? In terms of maybe going a step further here and for the listeners is how that would occur from an S&C point of view. There's a lot going on. You know, We talk about the kinetic chain, kinetic linking, transfer of energy from foot through to fist. Well, as you well know, from foot to fist, there's a, there's a lot of different uh, different things that we can kind of work on. Um, we might start, I touched on skipping, we might look at ground contact times and how explosive you are into the floor. We might look at the calf complex, gastroc and soleus of how um, robust you are through those tissues so that when the foot strikes and the kind of muscular tendon unit as well, the Achilles tendon, when the foot strikes, you don't want to bleed energy. We then might look up the chain of, okay, if you're locked through those anterior hips and we want to rotate and throw that backhand and fully extend the hip, then, and you can't access the position, we're going to lose power. So getting mobile through the anterior hip complex and getting stronger through the glutes that are going to drive you forwards into hip extension, that's a key area of focus. We then might look at the trunk. So I'm working my way up now. The trunk, and something myself and George did all those years ago, was looking at midline control. Are we bleeding energy every time we throw a shot? Because this was a big conversation we had, George. You were hammering the ab crunches, which, you know, again, choose your battles. We let them stay in. But then we were doing a lot of pal-off presses, weren't we? We were doing exercises that help him buffer forces on the spine so he doesn't bleed energy so he can use this center line as a transfer center from foot through to fist and then we kind of look at you know what what else goes on the lats the shoulders obviously shoulders as george knows are a very um prevalent area for injury for boxers because they're always in this rounded kyphotic forward head posture so doing as much preventative work around the scapula to build eccentric control and stability around the shoulder complex is very important um, especially when they throw that backhand question dan are you working with any female fighters yet at the moment no do you know it's interesting i was thinking that the other day i've I've never worked with a female fighter no and have you looked into it yet where would they be doing the same as the male fighters or would they be doing different exercises because they may be built slightly differently or they've got to make weight slightly differently or they're fighting a different most of them they fight two two minute rounds so Mm. is that that a factor it would be it would be factors that needed to be considered we'd look at like a needs analysis before going into a training camp and that would be you know myself and the boxing coach you know there'd be other things like menstrual cycle that would have to be considered in terms of you know training load management point of view Um, but I haven't had a deep dive into that because I haven't been presented with that opportunity as of yet you know Mm. if you could choose one fighter not past or present present in the world now operating that you could work on their S&C with them who would you choose it's hard because you know, that sounds like a bit of a dick. I have achieved quite a lot in this sport. I've trained the undisputed champion. I've trained multiple world champions. I've trained British champions, Commonwealth champions, English champions. I, you know, I've done all of that. I personally like it when I go on a journey with a fighter. So like the John Riders, the Connor Benz of this world, where they weren't doing that much, you know, prior to us starting working together. And now they're, you know, on the cusp of some really, really big things. That really fulfills me. Like I was blessed with the Josh Taylor one because of the work that I'd done in boxing and you know been consistent in my approach. I then get sort of headhunted for that role, so to speak, and became undisputed champion of the world in my first fight with him. We saw major improvements that camp, by the way. Um, so I'm not going to downplay the you know the, the role that I did have. But again, I was very fortunate because I've literally got to the summit of the mountain without actually climbing it with Josh, so to speak. So um, so that was good, but. 
I'm probably going to have to sit on the fence on that because I don't know. There's not really a fighter in this world who, like, you know, years ago, yeah, like the AJs and the Tyson Furies, like, that would have been great. But again, would I have got the buy-in from them? And, you know, with the AJ looks of things, he steers his ship. And that's not, like, I wouldn't work with a fighter like that. You know, you get experts in to, to bring value to the, to the overall performance picture. Yes, it has to be collaborative. But, you know, if it's uh, you're there to be a yes man, I'm not about that. I'd rather not work with you. Here's a past a past one, Nigel Ben. Right? <laughs> yeah. Dan worked a little bit with Nigel Ben. Yeah. Um, oh, you he, did, didn't he you? Was for talk, the comeback. Oh, Dan was talking about, about that. the comeback. Please. Firstly, living legend Nigel Ben, what a guy! Like lights up every room, and he's genuine, genuine guy. And he's very appreciative of the work that we've done with Connor, and he voices that, which is really going back to kind of what do you get out of this? That fulfills me. That makes me feel very proud. And of course, he's reached the pinnacle of his sport, and you know, SNC, like you said, was not around then. But Nigel, stylistically, you know, he's a guy who would, I think, like very similar to Connor. It's like he'd benefit, he would have benefited from that. And it's funny because when John Ryder fought uh, Callum Smith, November twenty third. This is the reason I remember yours as well. November twenty third. 2019 I think it was in Liverpool same date crazy and um, he was meant to fight Sakio Bika on the yeah. same in day in that's Birmingham. a hard fight right. yeah. even a, now a tough fight yeah. Bika's only been even out of the ring John for years yeah, literally <laughs> he's a beast yeah. and um, Nigel Ben doesn't ask you whether you'd like to work with him Nigel Ben tells you you're working with him and I'll say it on here I did not want to work with Nigel Ben at that stage of his career that's not a good look for me personally so I then, I'll never forget it. I woke up, I was coaching someone in town and I, my phone started popping off and it was an article in the Daily Telegraph. Nigel Ben is going to work with like esteemed strength and conditioning coach Dan Lawrence. I was like, bloody hell, this is news to me. This is the first I'd even heard of it. So look, I did, behind closed doors, start working with him. I thought, he's going <laughs> he's gonna, to he's gonna do this fight anyway. The, pre- the pressure it definitely of the article. So yeah. I feel like I, I might have written that. Because I remember, vividly remember pitching an article or pitching a feature with you around you that fight. Have written that, but it didn't. No, but it didn't happen until... Like it was. It didn't happen because he didn't fight. Carry on. Right. But do you know what but I mean? I, remember was, that. I think. It, yeah, there was. There yeah. was definitely something that I got sent anyway. I think it was. The and you were. On the, you were working with him. Yeah. Right? So basically, I was. But I said, one in the correct book behind closed doors. I'm not showcasing this on social media because it didn't sit well with me. You know. But what I then said was, look, I'm not going to change Nigel Ben's mind as to whether he has this fight. He is set in stone. He's having this fight. Whether I agree with it, Connor agrees with it, whatever else. So, okay, then as a practitioner who generally cares about the fighter first and cares about their health, I'm going to bring the most elite approach possible to him to get him ready for the, that fight night. We went to the Centre of Health and Human Performance on Harley Street and uh, we got physiological profiling. We did VO2 max testing. We did you know other tests as well. And I've got the report actually is and he'll love me for saying this, is I think he showed you, didn't he, on the, on fight night, I, I think when you came in, he goes, oh, Dan, show, I know it was an IFL interview with Coogan, and uh, he said, Dan, show them a report. He pulled me into this bloody interview, got the, my emails up. Nigel Ben has the cardiovascular fitness of a, a very fit 25-year-old male. And, um, Sounds look, like you, George. He would have me on the old... Uh, Cycling was his bag, you know. He, that's oh, in all Australia. he did, yeah, because he had ridiculous joint issues, ridiculous knee issues, plagued by shoulder issues. So sitting on a bike and with the mindset that Nigel has, that single-minded focus, he just got it done. Um, So again, it goes back to the said principle, specific adaptations for imposed demands. If all you do is cycle, you're going to be pretty good at cycling. 
doesn't mean you can get in the ring and take punches. So um, we got him in the gym. We, we got him through. And he really bought into it, by the way. He was absolutely brilliant. It, it was a pleasure to work with him. And then sometimes Connor would come in and they'd go, oh, those two, man, like they should literally have their own program because it was just like, I remember one time Connor hit a PB in the gym on a trap bar. And he was like, you know, still vying for his father's attention. Nigel comes in. I think he was just doing his own thing. He said, oh, dad, I just, boom, just hit a new PB. And he said, no, I just looked him up and down and said, get out of the way. Walks in, gets into this trap bar. I'm there like, fuck's sake, like literally having kittens. Is he warm at this point? No. He's literally just walked in. On. Like, and he started lifting this thing. He's got about a little bit off the floor. He's then, you know, like that last rep that you probably should never do. That's what was going on. But sheer determination got him from point A to point B 10 minutes later. But not quite 10 minutes. But anyway, I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. But they were very competitive. And you can see where <laughs> Connor gets it from. But, you know, thankfully the gods were looking out for us and the fight didn't happen because his shoulder issues were just too, uh, yeah, too much. When they talk to each other, do they have Australian accents? I want to hear Connor Ben with an Australian accent. <laughs> and then I reckon... Nigel's then, the dad, then Nigel's competing with that Australian accent, so they're really competitive, and there might be a little twang that comes in. What would it? What would it sound like, Dan? Oh, wow. Can you do an impression of? No way, I'm Australian not doing an impression at all, mate. No way. <laughs> but um, but no, I uh, I think that'd be very funny. I, I think another point on Connor as well when he fought Samuel Vargas, he went full uh, full Spanish Mexican and oh, like that was amazing. Latino. He was eh, cabron, yeah. you know. That <laughs> and was like, so and good. Mate, the best part, Samuel Vargas speaks perfect English. <laughs> <laughs> Never left Los Angeles, mate. It was ridiculous. Two weeks later, I was actually surreal. Samuel Vargas was sparring partner for Josh Taylor for the Ramirez fight. I'm then in the corner looking after Samuel, his pop nose in the first round and giving him water and Vaseline. And I'm like, two, I literally still have my Ben Vargas wristband on from two weeks prior that my guy just knocked him out in a round. So, yeah. <laughs> what was your Spanish accent like for you doing the corner? Agua. Agua. Mucho gracias. Agua. Nigel Ben. So, no comeback for Nigel Ben. No. As it stands, no comeback for George Groves. Not yet. Nearly there. We won't ride it off. Dan, Dan's the man to get me back when we're ready. When we're ready. All right, Dan. That was amazing, mate. I can't wait to listen to it back. I'm sure I've learned something about you today that I didn't <laughs> otherwise know. That's getting in the gym. Brilliant. Thanks for having me, chaps. Wow. So, George... I feel like I want to go to the gym. Did you enjoy that, Dan? <laughs> I enjoyed it. And if you want more from us, obviously go and follow our socials at GG Boxing Club on Instagram and Twitter. I like Danny. You've got to keep him sort of focused. <laughs> focused. Not focused, but like relaxed. You know, he wants he wants to be he's a perfectionist. He's very good at being that these days, I think. And I found that fascinating what you were saying about music deck. Yeah. I love music and he was spot on when he was saying certain music can get you in a certain mood and feel and I want to throw it out to you, feel, Dave. Yeah, what, are you what, are you, what are you thinking and feeling? What would be I, I your ring more track? I feel a playlist coming on. A playlist is coming, I feel yeah. a playlist coming on. I don't know where, where I would go with this, but Dan speaking there about he has to time it per- perfectly in the dressing room about what time in the playlist, you know, what song goes where. You probably know the feeling. You want something that pumps you up. I reckon we should put this out, put yeah. this out to the rest of the club. Try yeah. and get a gym playlist going. Let's get a gym playlist going. Yeah. We want people to let us know what are the songs that, I don't know, inspire them to train. Yeah. Uh, get maybe. them pumped. Last, last five minutes on the treadmill. Big last set on the deadlift. 
what song you're sticking on to get you through it. Get them through the finish line. Yeah. Maybe just to get them started. I think we should chuck in ring walks as well, George, because I, I know most people will have an idea what their ring walk tune is. We know what yours is. That's, that can go straight in. We can ask all our guests to give us one, but I bet you the listeners out there, a lot of them will go, yeah, do you know what? If I'd made it, if I was walking out of the O2, this is my tune. I reckon we should stick that in as well. So either the song that gets you pumped or your ring walk tune, chances are they might not be mutually exclusive, those two. Mm. We said we stick it. We stick it up on the socials. Yeah, how are we gonna do it? Stick it up on the socials and then ask people to comment underneath. Yeah, I w- I'd like a pitch of some description. Yeah, Don't you- just put the song. Put a reason. We need a bit more. Okay. Unless the music speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah. That and then- could be the pitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this song speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we the- can ask all the guests who come in here as well. Yeah. Ask the guests, and the best, the best suggestions are coming. Definitely getting a little shout out on yeah. this pod. Deck, have you got another podcast? You know me, Deck, have you got another podcast? You can plug for us. Of course, I've got one. If you want another podcast to listen to, I was hoping you'd ask me that. You got to check out Beef's Golf Club, brand new. Pro golfer Andrew Beef Johnston, along with comedian John Robbins, have started their new golf show this week. And episode one is about the first tee. That's tee with a double E, not an EA, and features a story about Beef throwing his club into a lake. Go and check it out. Just search for Beast Golf Club in your podcast app now, right now. Next week, George, can we get the Azim brothers in? Team Azim. Team Azim. Bros. Yeah, we get them in. Can we get them in? Yeah. We're revving it up. Hottest prospects in the UK right now, maybe. Can't wait. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.